0: Welcome to The Vulva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vaginal health. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Martha Getch, who is a long-term clinician and researcher in vulvar conditions. She's associated with the Oregon Health and Sciences Unit. And we're going to talk about some of her recent research about estrogen and pain. Hi, Dr. Gatch. Hello, Amanda. Nice to talk to you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about this paper you just published on estrogen and vulvar pain?
1: Yes, I published a paper in the Journal of Lower Genital Tract Diseases, which is a case series of 16 patients who were postmenopausal. They came to our vulvar pain clinic with complaints of excruciating constant pain. And I had started noting patients like this some years ago. In fact, I did one series already published in 2012, I think, on seven such patients. So I kept keeping my ears out for patients who were in menopause. I started realizing that Another thing to ask was whether they still had ovaries or whether the ovaries had been removed early such that they went into menopause prematurely, and then whether they were given estrogen supplements in their menopause years. So I came to realize that there were enough patients to try to keep track of them and write them up. So these were two different articles that were case studies, case series of patients And in my practice, I have come to, in fact, when I look at some of my very early writing, I realize I very early was thinking of the vestibule as an anatomic location that had an unusual response to lack of estrogen. So I believe that that is the key that has the ability to stimulate overgrowth of pain nerves. So... With these patients who were postmenopausal, I felt like, well, what if this is vestibular pain? However, when you get a patient who's saying, well, it constantly hurts every minute of the day, you know, they can't really say, well, this is where it's coming from, usually. It's just down there. So I use lidocaine to try to extinguish the pain. Now, usually with a patient who's premenopausal, let's say, or early postmenopausal, who says, well, I have dyspareunia, but that's the only time it hurts. You can typically use lidocaine for one minute, two minutes in the vestibule. You hold a soaking wet couple of big swabs against all the tissues there. Then you touch test again, and very usually the pain is extinguished by those few minutes of lidocaine. Well, with these patients with severe pain, I felt like, well, if it took them years to get this bad, and if it is vestibule, it's gonna take more than two minutes of lidocaine. So I would put on a couple of minutes, I would take it away and I would ask him, okay, is it still hurting the same way? Then I'd put on two more minutes, up to like eight minutes of lidocaine. And typically with these patients, there was a diminution of their pain or they'd sit up and I'd say, well, okay, think about this pain you were telling me about when you were first describing it and is it there? And they would say, no, it's not. So that helped me to feel like, okay, The vestibule is the place that we need to treat. And again, my theory is that this has been an overgrowth of pain nerves that's taken so many years that it's probably going to take a lot of time to prune back those nerve endings, which is what we realize that happens when this is treated correctly. So, or at least we can mirror this knowing about animal studies where it shows that nerves will sprout and grow When there's low estrogen, and they will be pruned back when there's adequate estrogen. So that was my basic theory about what was going on here. So the conundrum was, these patients have excruciating pain. It's excruciating if you touch it. How are they supposed to put estrogen cream there? And they're old enough so that, you know, you think twice about providing them systemic estrogen. My own belief is that it really must be transdermal to reduce their risk of cardiovascular effects. But nevertheless, many of the patients were like, you know, systemic, I don't know. So what I would teach them to do would be to apply the lidocaine themselves at home. I'd show them with a mirror, have them use the lidocaine for five minutes or more at home, which would then hopefully reduce their topical pain enough so that they could apply the estrogen cream without it hurting and burning. Or they'd put the cream on a cotton ball or two and put it in place and then go to sleep and have a few hours of particularly localized treatment. So the thing is that it, it took weeks. It took actually two to four months before half of the patients were noticing some days free of pain during the week. So I had to be pretty firmly a believer of my own theory, which I am. <laughs> so, yeah, 16 of the patients are in the report, I think uh, three or four of them got down to a level of pain of two or three, and they felt like, yeah, that's okay. I don't really want to do systemic. A lot of the women started with the topical estrogen, and then that wasn't necessarily enough, so then I added patch estrogen, or some of them just went right to patch estrogen. The, the ages varied. So there were a few women who were just a few years into menopause, having had their ovaries out, and then there was an 84-year-old who'd had four years of what she called low torch pain.
0: So in these patients, you usually use your topical estrogen every day?
1: Yes. I felt like the way we are, you know, authorized, so to speak, to use estrogen cream is for the purposes of treating atrophy. And that's been the prevalent theory about this pain, but I don't believe that's the case. I mean, there is atrophy, but I don't believe atrophy itself is a pain syndrome. I feel like it's a dryness or it's a thinning or it's a shrinkage which can be issues, but pain is a different thing. And I think the pain needs much longer to treat than you need to treat atrophy. We know that it only takes about 10 days to convert the vaginal superficial cells into mature cells if you treat with estrogen compared to their prior status as parabasals with no estrogen. So atrophy is really easy to treat, but the pain takes much longer. So I felt like these patients needed constant continuous estrogen on a daily basis. And that's why a patch is nice, but they were pretty dutiful. They just kept, I mean, to think that they didn't even start noticing, well, they could notice slight changes, but then to have it be two to four months before they had a day free of pain, they were pretty stalwart in trying to get to a better place. So as I guess I didn't finally say, all but three or so had complete resolution of their constant pain And those who didn't have resolution had felt like, well, either it was okay and tolerable. There were two that I actually did a little vestibular revision surgery because that's something I did very frequently in my career. So that helped a couple of patients get to a much more comfortable
0: place. So I think it's very interesting that you distinguish between atrophy or regular menopausal issues as just being dry and that these patients are different because it's truly pain and pain that you're able to find exactly where it is by using your lidocaine to outline it.
1: Right. And I feel like a lot of women who are postmenopausal have the, the early phase of this same problem In other words, I feel like dryness is the first way that that women describe this vestibule change. And then after a while, they'll say, well, or, you know, if I ask them, I said, well, you're saying dryness, is it dryness or is it pain? And they'll say, well, it's pain. Because I think, again, the whole field has used vaginal dryness as the name for the problem. So, you know, women are saying dryness partly because that's the name that they know. But I think we as clinicians need to be a little more focused on getting the details of whether it's pain, whether it's dryness, and, and putting that into a continuum of whether you know they're coming at, in after five years of menopause or after six months of menopause. So, Or in, the, in some of these patients, 25 or 35 years after menopause with no estrogen. And I feel like the group that I'm publishing on is one Subgroup of, I mean, most women, maybe if we lived long enough, we'd get into this circumstance, but some women actually in menopause don't ever get painful sex. So we don't have enough research data about the variations of menopause relative to the vestibule. And certainly most of the focus has been on the vagina, which I think is just a few inches off.
0: I agree. And all the estrogens are about, most of the time, people are. Or clinicians are only treating their patients in the vagina and they skip the vulva. Yeah. And it,
1: it sort of works because it, it got through the regulatory people, but I, I actually feel that drug companies can be faulted perhaps for not discriminating. Okay. Who's got mild, who's got moderate, who's got severe and how much estrogen does it take to treat each of those different categories? I think they're, they we're going to be able to learn a lot more about, what is needed if we would segregate the or define the def, the um, severity.
0: It always goes back to all the severity symptoms for many of these conditions. So would you usually put your postmenopausal women then always on daily to begin with? Because the subset you did for sure, but do you even your patients with just mild dryness do you usually start every day for a while or how long do you stay on every day?
1: Yeah, I do actually. I feel like they should keep treating daily until they see that they get relief. And that would sort of solve the question of how long should you tell them to do it? I mean, it is expensive, at least in the US, it's expensive therapy. So women don't want to just use it willy-nilly. But I think a lot give up because they don't get better on the, to use it every night for two weeks and then downshift to twice a week. I mean, that just doesn't treat everybody. I actually am now writing up a study that I've done on postmenopausal women who have painful sex and it's moderate and severe degrees of pain, not mild. And I had them use estrogen cream, estradiol cream, to the vestibule, applied as a cream every night for 90 days. Because I wanted to see how, how many got better in a month, how many got better in two months, you know, because from clinical experience, I feel like two weeks, it doesn't do it. So, um, and what I was also concerned about is how much is absorbed. You know, in the vagina, actually, you can absorb enough to change the average systemic level a little bit. And so the field is going towards let's do lower estrogens, lower estrogens, let's see what we, because of safety issues. So I tested all these women in serial fashion with four different blood draws. And I have presented this in abstract form. The estrogen levels stayed. Very, very low. They stayed in the real menopausal levels. They were even lower than what has been published about vaginal absorption. So, I actually, in my clinical practice, have said treat yourself every day until it's better.
0: And do you tell them about your study when they have their fear when they go to the pharmacist or fear from Google that they can't use all this estrogen?
1: Yes. Prior to being able to know my results, I would caution patients that I have no reason to believe from patient reports for instance you know you always I always ask patients okay did the estrogen cream cause you a little more in terms of hot flashes or sweats or anything or did you have any spotting or did you get breast tenderness because I feel like you know even though the levels can be low sometimes women will notice a vaginally applied estrogen cream and so I would reassure patients that I haven't been hearing that kind of thing, but now I'm going to be able to say, no, it's even safer probably to use estrogen in the vestibule on a continuous basis than it is in the vagina.
0: I think that's very exciting and interesting information for people. So do you have any other take-home points you would like listeners to know?
1: Well, I guess I would just say, make sure the lidocaine is there where you're examining patients. Don't have the barriers saying with your recognition, oh gosh, you know, this patient probably has some vestibule thing. I bet I guess I could use lidocaine, but you know what? I'd have to call my assistant. She'd have to find me. Would she have to go get it? It's going to take a few more, you know, have it there on your counter. Just have it there and use it. And what you'll find is that the patients teach you. I mean, that's how I got where I got all these hundreds and hundreds of patients over the years with me being able to distinguish clearly what's going on with that mucosa of the vestibule in terms of pain. It's incredibly instructive. And let's say you have a patient who, I don't know, she comes in and she's got complaints and you realize I need to do a good bimanual here, but maybe she's got enough of a yeast infection that she's really uncomfortable. Well, put the lidocaine on and then you can do a bimanual without her squirming because the vestibule is what's hurting, and you can have a much better exam. It's certainly the case with vestibulodynia patients, where they can hardly handle a speculum unless you put the lidocaine on. And then the speculum—I always use a Pedersen. I don't. I pretty much gave up Graves, but those patients, you slide the speculum in, and their eyes get big, like "Wow, that didn't hurt." So use the lidocaine. It will just really help you learn. It'll help your patients recognize that you know what you're doing and it will help your exams for all
0: other kinds of issues. Everyone should have lidocaine in their clinic. Do you use 2% or 5%? Oh, I use 4%. 4%. Okay, there you go. Canada, we usually have two or five, but 4% I think is the more common American number. Maybe, but the thing
1: that I like about the liquid is number one, it's 4%. You know, it's double the 2%. And What we have is we have lidocaine gel as 2%. I've had patients come back saying, you know, my husband got numb, you know, if I suggested that they use lidocaine and and maybe somebody else prescribed it. So no, 2% is an option, but 4% is double the effect and it only has one preservative. Whereas the 5%, I don't know why, but that stuff, patients will often in my experience come back saying, wow, that burned. And so I, I think it can be the, the multiple preservatives in ointments and creams and in the liquid lidocaine, it's only. Now, we, as with many things in the U.S., the price has gone bumping up and up and up. I mean, it's ridiculous. 15, 20 years ago, it was $8.50 for 50 ml a bottle. Now it's $60. And actually, that was a few years ago when I just called to see. But there is an over-the-counter cream. It is a cream, but it's 4%, and it's called Asper cream. I I don't have anything to do with the company, but I I think we're in desperate times when the pharmaceutical companies put the prices out of reach. So Asper cream, 4% is an over-the-counter product. Lidocaine can be obtained for clinic use, and then you do have several choices for prescription
0: That's very interesting. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, I appreciated the invitation. That was wonderful. Thanks. Again, that's Dr. Martha Gedge, who is a long-term expert in vulvar medicine and continues to work in research in Oregon.